Amen. This morning, as we have already been singing about the message, let us now turn to God's Word, Psalms 36. This is one of those Psalms where the message is just absolutely clear when you, when you read it. And so let's, let's hear from God's Word today. Let's stand to our feet. As we read God's Word this morning, I want us to notice the heading that is here for us. Not every Psalms has one, and sometimes they are different, but let us take note of this this morning, for we will begin here. To the choir master of David, the servant of the Lord. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. The feast of your abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the rivers of your delight. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of wicked, the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen, They are thrust down, unable to rise. Let's pray together. Lord, this is your word that you have given to your people who have been called by your name to live for your glory, to make much of you. And so, Lord, grant us the wisdom and the understanding and the knowledge to know you And to rest in the facts of your unchanging love. It's immovable. Oh God, that we would see this today in the midst of our world of uncertainty. To know you and to treasure you above all things. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I'm going to do some... What comes into your mind when you hear this or hear that today as, as we go through the message? And so here's our first one as we think about our, the main idea. If you got your notes, it should be on there at the top. The precious, steadfast love of the Lord protects and provides for His children. So when you think of that word, precious, what pops in your mind? Just let it pop, don't. Don't try to, I know we're at church today, so everybody knows they need to say Jesus. Because here's what we need to be honest with ourselves: That sometimes when someone asks a question, we know the words that we should say. 
But in reality, our life may tell a different message. For it is our life that tells us what is precious. And what is precious becomes abundantly clear in times of trouble, doesn't it? Trouble and conflict and pain clarifies what is really precious in our life. So how do we achieve fidelity between those two? These things that we know to be true and these things that are actually true. I think David has a good word for us today, a good reminder. And it begins before the psalm even begins. He says in the, in the heading that this psalm, this song is to, to be delivered to the choir master. It's to be worshipped in worship. It's to be, we should sing this together. But he identifies himself, notice this, the servant of the Lord. The, that word servant here could mean slave. It could mean worshiper. It could mean an official, even an ambassador. The point is, he is identifying him, himself at the very beginning as a subordinate. That is a person who is under authority or the control of someone else. It's important to think about who David was. So what is precious to David, you see? This is the beginning. That he is the king? The king of Israel? Or he is the servant of the Lord? This is where we begin. This is all through the Psalms. As I did a word study on that word servant through the Old Testament and then through the Psalms, there was one Psalms that came up more than any other. It was Psalms 119. Just flip over there with me. I just want you to see just a few places because I want you to connect this. Because if you don't, you won't understand what's precious if you don't understand how precious the Word of God was to David. Psalms 119, just look at verse 38. Verse 38. It says, confirm to your servant, same word, your promise that you may be feared. Look down at verse 49. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. Verse 65. It says, you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. And I love verse 76. It says, let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. So this is critical. This is not new. This is what Jesus said, wasn't it? Turn with me to Matthew 20. It's a little dark up here. Matthew 20. Look at verse 25. But Jesus called them to him, talking to, about to his disciples, and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Their great ones exercise authority over, over them. Verse 26, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even the Son of Man, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Philippians 2 says, Jesus took on the form of a doulos, a slave. A 
A servant is humble. He is obedient to his Lord. You see, this is a wisdom psalm. Psalm 36 and 37 is a wisdom psalm. He's identifying the wisdom of God and the wisdom of his people. He's going to build on the people of God next week in Psalm 37. As those who are humble, who is obedient. But this servant of God has a deep concern. And he starts there. A deep concern over the sinfulness of man. And he has a keen awareness of the supremacy of God in all things. And he loves it that the supremacy of God gets into the nooks and crannies of his very life. So this is where he begins. The servant of the Lord recognizes the foolishness of man's sinfulness. He begins there, he ends there. But this is not the main thing. We'll see what's main the climax, remember this is, a, this is a poem, this is a song, it has a climax. He begins with the sinner's nature. You see, just like the righteous who is a servant of the Lord, the wicked have a master too. Though they relish in the fact that they are no man's slave. They are in fact a slave. And we see it in verse 1. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. This is, sin is not just an action thing. Sin is a nature thing. No, your child is not a good person who sometimes does bad things. The Bible says it's much deeper than that. Wickedness is not skin deep. Wickedness is an issue of the heart. Transgression, sin, wickedness speaks at the deepest part of the sinner's soul. Turn with me to Romans 1.24. You may want to mark that. We're going to come back there in just a minute. Romans 1.24. You see, this is where the gospel begins. Remember Romans? He's going to get to the good news. He begins, Romans 1 begins in Romans 1. He begins with the sinfulness of man, just like David does here. In Romans 1, verse 24. It says, therefore God gave them up. That's one of the scariest phrases in Scripture. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their what? Their heart. To impurity due to dishonoring their bodies among themselves. Because, listen, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served. Do you see it? Worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. This is the portrait, brothers and sisters, of all men. Romans 3.10 says, There is no one righteous, no, not one. There is none that seeks after God. In verse 12, it says, All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Verse 17, In the way of peace they have not known, and there is no fear of God before their eyes. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says that all people are spiritually dead, dead in their trespasses and sins, and are by nature children of wrath. This is the truth. This is of deep concern to David, the servant of God. And what's in their nature is no fear of God. That's what it says at the end of verse 1. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You see, what, what does it look like for someone to not fear God? They deceive themselves, you see, that God doesn't know nor care about their sin. 
A person who has no fear of God has no terror of coming judgment, though the Bible and God's Word declares it. They think about their own good. There's no thought of justice. There's no thought of righteousness. Only when it serves their needs. That's what it looks like. When Moses was picking out good leaders to help him judge and to exercise justice amongst the people of God, the main quality was that those leaders fear God. Because if you do not fear God, you cannot exercise good judgment. And you cannot bring justice to bear in anyone's life. This is what the fear of God looks like when it doesn't exist in a person's life. They never take God into an account in their decisions. He never factors in when they buy a house. They don't. He doesn't factor in when they, when they move. It doesn't factor in when they buy a boat. He doesn't factor in. You see, for New Testament Christians, every time we make a decision, Christ, His church, and His mission must factor in. That's what fear of God looks like when it bleeds into our life. But the sinful, the wicked, He just doesn't. And what they don't understand is what one commentator points out. The man who does not fear God has prepared his soul for any kind of sin. This is the breeding ground for the worst of sin. James Montgomery Boyce calls it spiritual insanity to not fear God. He says this is what happens. Black becomes white. Good becomes evil. Terror, Truth is error. Peace is turmoil. Joy is misery. People who do not fear God go spiritually insane because they have a too high view of themselves. Look at verse 2. It says, For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. This is what we are by nature, you see. By nature, we have a very high view of ourself and too low a view of God. Alexander Pope, the 18th century poet, puts it this way. Vice is a monster of so frightful men as to be hated needs but to be seen. Yet seen too oft, familiar with her face, we first endure, then pity, then embrace. We first endure, then pity, then embrace. This one who fears God and does not fear God in his very soul has a high view of himself. And eventually he becomes where he cannot even detect his sin and thinks nothing is wrong with it and does not fear that God will ever do anything about it. But see, this doesn't just, your sin just doesn't stay in your soul. It just doesn't stay in your nature. It looks for an escape, for a release. So we see in verse 3, the words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and to do good. The sinner's nature ha- causes an action. It causes activity in his life. If you still have Romans 1, now flip back to Romans 1, you can see it. When God gives them over to do what their nature longs to do, in verse 28 we see, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, 
God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manners of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. You see, the wicked soul acts based off who he is. This was of deep concern to David. He says, they just don't go out in evil. They're evil when they're laying in their bed. Look at verse 4. He plots trouble while on his bed. This sounds a lot like Psalms 1. Notice this. He plots trouble in his, while on his bed. Second line. He sets himself in a way that is not good. Third, he does not reject evil. A wicked man carries his wicked heart even to his bed at night. You see, what you don't dread, what you don't hate, you will not avoid and you will eventually embrace it. Paul warns Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.13 that evil people always go from bad to worse. It takes a miracle to save a man. And yet, sometimes we don't believe it, do we? That sin goes from bad to worse. That looking at pornography on your phone leads to pedophilia. We don't believe that. But that's it always degrades. Whether with addiction to drugs or whether it's the secret sin of our heart, it will always get worse. We've seen it in the news even amongst those who declare Christ every week. This is sin. If you look at verse 4 and study what he's saying, he's saying this sin affects the thought, the will, and the very emotions and feelings of the man. It permeates all of his life. But this is not the main point for David. He says this is the reality and it's of deep concern. But he says the servants of the Lord cherish the wisdom Of God's steadfast love. As I tried to say, okay, how can I summarize this? This is the climax of the psalm. The steadfast love, what we've been singing about. What Pastor Micah and Pastor Chad wrote a song about. Is this steadfast love. And I said the words, what's what's the best word? I like the word relish, but it sounds like something you put on a hot dog. you know. And, And so I picked cherish. This, this understanding is this precious something I want to guard. Look at verse 5. He immediately, I mean without warning, he's talking about the sinfulness of man, their nature, their actions, and then on a dime he changes. And what he doesn't do, he's going to do this next week, he's not doing it in his Psalms. He's not saying, but the righteousness of, my, of me, of mine, of the redeemed. He contrasts the sinfulness of man with God. Here's how we correct ourselves when we find ourselves drifting. We go back to the cross. I don't understand why people don't love theology. It's a mystery to me. Because in understanding God, we get to understand these things. And so David wants us to understand them this morning. What's in the very nature of God? So he gives us... Of three pictures to help us understand three images. There's some 
complementary terms here. Love and faithfulness. Righteousness is with justice. It begets judgments. And so we see this un- how can you help people get a hold of something that they can't get a hold of? Well, he paints a picture. So I want to ask you a question. This is what David was trying to get us to do. So let's practice it. When you think of heavens and clouds, you see it? O Lord, your steadfast love extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. So God's steadfast love and faithfulness is like the heavens, it's like the clouds. And that goes not just the sky, but the very universe itself. And so when you think about the heavens, the universe, what are some things that pop in your head? I want you to talk to me. First thing that pops in your head, think about the universe and the heavens. The stars. So that, yeah, the planets. That's right. It's it's, and so, give me some describing words. Expanse. There's a vastness. All you got to do is look up the vastness of the universe or something like on YouTube, and it'll it'll show you our little. Our little earth, and it'll start backing up. In about five minutes, you're somewhere, you know, and you can't even see the earth. That's, that's what he's trying to get you to understand is the steadfast love of God. It never ends. These describing words, all of a sudden we realize, who can put their hands around the universe? Who can count the stars? This is those that fear God, is those that want to know who God is. And he says, he's a God who's lovingly faithful. This reflects constancy. The, the, the skies and the stars are there when you go to bed. It's still there. If one of our planets moved, if the tilt of the earth changed, if the sun was a little bit further away or a little bit closer, we would all be dead. This reflects something. That's there to teach us. You see how dangerous it is to not have the fear of God? You can't even see it in creation. He uses it to say, look at the heavens. Look at the clouds. It shows us faithfulness. Faithfulness reflects permanence. Something that can be trusted. Something that endures. Something that it knows no end. Lamentations. 322, a little bit hard to find. If you can just listen, you can just listen. Lamentations 322 just summarizes it so well. It says this The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's what he's trying to get us to see when he says the steadfast love is like the clouds, it's like the heavens. He is faithful and he his righteousness. It's like the mountains of God. Righteousness, remember we talked about this last week, can mean justice. You can use those words synonymously. Righteousness and justice, they're like the mountains. So when you think of mountains, what do you think about? Describing words. Large. Yeah, steadfast. That's a good, that's a good word. Immovable. You see how, and, and teachers learn this, 
This is how we all learn. We need a picture. <laughs> we need a way to try to get a hold of something that cannot be, we cannot get our hands around. And who can get their hands around God? This is what he's trying to show us. The peak of Mount Everest, 29,035 feet above sea level. And so when David would speak in that day when they built something, where would they build? They would build on top of a mountain. They would, that's where they wanted their fortress. And so when he painted a picture of who God is, he says, if you build your house on a mountain, it's impregnable. A mountain is immovable. This gets to God's eternality. He is infinite. He is outside of what He created. He holds it all together. Genesis 18.25 says this, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Absolutely He will. Because that's who He is. He is not describing simply something that God does. He is describing for us who God is. This is who he is. Then he goes to oceans. He said his judgment is like the oceans. So when you think about the oceans, give me some describing words for that. Say that again. Didn't hear you. Windy. Yeah. Yeah, uncontrollable. I like that. I actually like that. I didn't think of that one. Powerful. Deep. It's a good word. The Mariano Trench is 36,000 feet deep. You could take Mount Everest, flip it on its nose, drop it down deep, and it would still have 7,000 feet of water over the top of it. Now that gives you, this is what he's doing. He's saying, those are the pictures. What do you mean with judgments? This is the omniscient knowledge and understanding of God. You can't get down to where he thinks. You cannot see what he sees. You cannot know what he knows. It's incomprehensible. It's immeasurable. It's mysterious. You ever saw some of those fish swimming down or way down deep where we cannot go? There's a mystery there. Romans 11.33. Romans 11.33. It says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable His ways. He's teaching us who Elohim is. He is God the Creator. And yet, look at verse 6. He's about to transition here. It says, your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. Now, this might be a goofy illustration. It's just, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm a little goofy. You know, it's been raining for, you know, what, 10 years or something. You know, we hadn't been outside. His son come out yesterday and got to go outside. And I, we've got three dogs. Two of them are rescue dogs. Let a couple of them loose and let them run a little bit. And we've got a rescue dog, or at least he followed Jacob home. And uh, we call her baby. She's a big old thing. 
But she's as sweet as she can be. And so she's sitting there and she's out. She loves the sun just as much as me. And she's putting her head on my lap as I'm petting her. And I realize the hardness of that dog's life. And that God cared enough about a dog to put it in our family so that we could take care of it. You say, that's goofy. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 6 when he's trying to say, what are you worrying about? You remember? God takes care of the lilies. He takes care of the birds. Will He not take care of you? God's got a detailed care. So His activity, verses 7 to 9, what happens when God brings all of this immensity, His eternality, His infinite power and knowledge, and directs it towards His own? There's a change of scale here that should be overwhelming. You go from immensity to a depth you cannot see, to a height you cannot climb, to an expanse you cannot get around, and now it becomes personal. Heavens and oceans and mountains are precious. No, they're immense. If you think about the depth of God's knowledge being 36,000 feet deep, it, can, it should be overwhelming to you. But here something becomes precious. The transcendent, infinite perfections of God are applied personally into the life of His children. That's good news. I don't know where you are today, but that's good news. The precious, steadfast love of the God simply produces something because that's who God is. So what does it look like? Well, look at verse 7. It says, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Get this word, refuge. It's another favorite word of David. Now, you've got to get a hold of this. You've been th- we've been thinking about Mount Everest and the Mariano Trench and all of these immense expanse and all of a sudden you get a picture of a, of a little hen protecting a brood. You get that? That's the sovereign God that, that holds all things together and He puts His wings over you. It is what caused Jesus to cry. When He looked out at Israel and He said, All that you would believe... And I would cover every one of you. But you will not believe. No Jesus equals no refuge. The Lord brings His love, His faithfulness, His righteousness, His judgment to bear to His own for their good and His glory. You remember Ruth? She found her kinsman redeemer in Boaz. Do you remember the beginning of that? She was a Moabite, an immigrant, and yet he allowed her to glean off the edges of her field, even telling her, their people, leave more there to make sure she gets enough. Listen to how she responded to Boaz, Ruth 2, verse 12. She's speaking to him. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, 
the God of Israel, listen, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see what she's saying? She's saying, your exercise is goodness and justice to me because you are living under God's goodness and justice. He's being good to you and He's caring for you. And how do you work it out in your life? You're caring for me. The Lord's refuge is not meant for you to merely survive under. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. But listen to what it gives you. Look at verse 8. It gives you access to His house. The feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. See how God-centered this is. That's why the fear of God is so important. It's centered on Him. But remember, this is a wisdom psalm. So turn with me to Proverbs 9. Proverbs 9. Verse 1. Wisdom, verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her, her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense... She says, come eat of my bread and drink of my wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the ways of insight. This is the picture of what God provides for His children. He gives you Himself. And when He gives you Himself, He gives you His wisdom. He gives you the ability to know Him and be satisfied. This picture of feasting and drinking. This is what God has given. You see, David, listen, this is important. Because David lived a real life. And he really suffered. And he had at one time been a refugee. Not wanted by his own country. And not wanted by his enemies. But here's what he's saying. Not one day. Not one day was I ever a spiritual refugee because even in the cave, I could cover under the cover of my God's wings and I could be satisfied in Him. Listen, that's the gospel we take to the nations. That's the only gospel. It is Christ who provides, look at verse 9, both life and light. Such a simple two lines. For with you... Is the fountain of life. In your light, do we see light? Turn with me. You should, when you read that, you should say, what's the first thing that pops in your What scripture pops in your mind? I hope it's John 1. You realize how much the Bible affected those who wrote the Bible. John 1. Look at verse 1. Have... Have Psalms in your mind. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with the God. And the Word was God. Listen, that's, that's higher than the mountains and deeper than the ocean. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. See, we're still deep and high right there. 
Verse 4, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Look at verse 12. Now he gets personal, just like David. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man. But he was born of God. Very simple words. You see, life is in the creature. We have life. But the fountain of life is only in one place. And his name is Jesus. Turn with me to... Over one page or one page in my Bible to John 4. As I thought the simplest way for us to understand life and light, I, I, I remembered the woman at the well. Do you remember? John chapter 4, Jesus ordained a trip through a place the Jews never went. They would go around it. He went through it. He stopped at a well in the middle of the day, tired and thirsty, and here comes a Samaritan woman. He engages her, you remember? She's confused. So what he says, John 4 verse 10, If you knew the gift of God, and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would have given you living water. Well, now this gets her attention, you remember? She says, ah, give me some of that. I don't want to have to come to this well anymore. Verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Speaking of the well and water in the ground, whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give you will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And they get in this, she gets into this blame shifting where she tries to change the subject. He puts his finger on her issues, tells her to call her husband. Well, she's had five husbands. She's living with somebody. She's not married right now. So she brings up the issue of worship. She goes right where he wants to go anyway. Listen to what she says. And Jesus says, verse 23, But the hour is coming, and it's now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. She goes on to say, I know it's coming. There's a Messiah coming. And He said in verse 26, I who speak to you am He. I am the one who will bring truth. And who after me comes the Spirit. This is where satisfaction and delight is. And this is what He is telling us. That in knowing God comes satisfaction and delight. A spiritual satisfaction and a spiritual delight of whom no one can take, take it away. Isaiah 60 verse 20 says this, Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. How can I be satisfied with Him? How can I be filled with joy, irregardless of my situation? He's telling you that the source is God Himself. 
A child of God plus the truth of God filled with the Spirit of God equals a satisfied and delighted child. And there is no other way. So what's the takeaways today? We live by faith in His unfailing love. We live by faith. So He comes back in this psalm. If you turn back to Psalms 36 now, He comes back to the sinfulness of man at the end. But with a, with a different perspective, a different set of glasses on for us. In verse 10, He says, Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright at heart. So they, He comes back to this issue of God and His steadfast love and God and His righteousness. And so now he comes back to the sinfulness of man. He says, Lord, knowing what it means to live under the shadow of your wings, knowing what it means to feast in your house and to be satisfied, Lord, never let me be taken away. Never let the prideness of my, myself or the pridefulness of my enemies come upon me and drive me away from this place of satisfaction and joy. This is interesting in verse 12. Look at it. The evildoers are already fallen. Do you see that? Why are they fallen? You need to understand this, Christian. The very things that are the sweetest and the most delightful and the most joyful things to you are the most dreaded and the most feared by those who know not Christ. And so those very things... They cause us joy and satisfies us. We'll lay the wicked on their face. Evil cannot coexist with God's rule and reign. And one day His rule and reign will be absolute. So how do I live? How do I live by faith? We try to answer that question for you every week. We do. What do we just get through singing? I bring you, we bring you back to the cross. We bring you back to the gospel every week. And I hope you do to yourself every day. This is how we live by faith. We remember who we were. Yes, you do. You are not supposed to forget who you were without Christ. You remember who you were without Him. And you remember who you are because of Him. While we were enemies... He set on us His steadfast love. In your life, if you were saved, there was a time when a miracle the same as creation impacted your life. When the Word of truth and the Spirit of God brought new life in your soul. And what you experienced at that moment was a brokenness over your sin that Cracked open a shell. And what comes out is a new heart and a new soul. New life and new light. This is the miracle of our salvation. And we return back to it as we live by faith. Desiring God. John Piper, here's one of his quotes. But our joy does not just rise from a backward glance in gratitude. It also rises from the forward glance of hope. That's what the gospel does. It causes us to remember who we were, remember who we are, and remember what we will be. And so, I just introduce you as we close to Psalms 37 for next week. 
And in Psalms 37, next week, verse 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Pray with me. As we come to the Lord in prayer, and as we get ready to worship Him, let us call ourselves to worship with His Word and then in prayer. And in Hebrews 10, in verse 19, our Lord reminds us, Therefore, brothers, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your Son who took on the penalty of our sin and our shame and our punishment. He took it all. He paid it all. He removed it all. And He gave us instead His righteousness. Oh Lord, will You receive our worship? Who do we have in You, Lord? Who do we have at You that we can go nowhere and escape the steadfast love of God that you have for us, Lord. We thank you for it. We thank you that you have opened up the curtain of our sin and removed it through the perfection of Christ. Now we have access to your presence. So now, Lord, we just respond to you. Lord, in, in two ways I pray at this moment. That the redeemed of the Lord will say so. And those who know not you will repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ and not delay you one more day, one more second. For the glory of your name, Lord. Rescue the perishing. Please, God. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. And be glorified in our worship now as we stand to our feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.